Levels are good. We're in sync. We're always in sync. You and me. What's the in sync song? Uh. Hit me, baby, one more time. That's that definitely one? not in sync. That's it. Britney Spears. <laughs> Whoops. I kind of <laughs> realized that. <laughs> oh, no. Bye, bye, bye. That one. Sorry. Hello, and welcome to the Interstate Gamers Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, a.k.a. K-Slugs. My name is Peter, a.k.a. Deal for Real, and I'm also your host. So as you know, on this podcast, we rate and discuss some of our favorite video games. The goal here is to spark conversations and fun discussions about some of these games, and uh, perhaps even get a little bit critical with them. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, One thing I just noticed, Kevin, is that you didn't say that we would be reviewing some not-so-good games as well, which is something that you said the past two times. And uh, I know. And when you, when you said it those times, I was thinking, are we really going to talk about like a, a bad game on this podcast? Because <laughs> I didn't really think we so would. So far, we haven't. Wanna... Yeah, so far, we haven't. So far, we haven't. So I was like, okay, well, if we haven't so far, I might as well wait until there's a bad one. But I do want to review one that, that's bad because it could be kind of funny. You know what I mean? Like, so bad that it's hilarious. I don't know. Have we both played a game like that? I don't think we have. Like, if we have a game in common No, but we could. Ah. We could. Hey, you Pikachu? That would be a good one. I enjoyed that game when I played it 10 plus years ago. (laughs) Did did you really? I rented it for a weekend. Oh, we're definitely reviewing that one. Well, I'd have to get it again. I can't review it after, like, 10 years of not playing it. Yeah, true. What you drinking today, bud? He- I am drinking a local beer. Surprise, surprise. Um, I'm probably going to be drinking mostly local beers, given that I live in Denver. This is a brown ale from Upslope Brewing Company there in Boulder, Boulder, Colorado. And uh, it's the same class of beer as the one I was drinking last time, uh, the brown ale. And I have to say, I don't think I'm too much of a fan of this type of beer, now that I've had a couple of them. Um, the bitterness isn't really doing it for me. Um, I prefer my beers to be either sweet or tart or made of sweet tarts. Um, I've been, I've been <laughs> learning that about myself lately. I actually do really enjoy sours. Sours are probably my favorite type of beer. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, maybe next time I'll grab me a sour so I can uh, drink a beer that I super totally love because right now, you know, this one's, it's eh. Yeah, I'd like to see a sweet tart beer. That'd be, that'd be interesting for sure. I think our avid listeners would know what kind of beer I'm going to uh, be having for this podcast. Because once again, I have my Shiner for this podcast, and everybody knows where it's from by this point, Shiner, Texas. But it is the Ruby Redbird, and it tastes like a little bit like mango-y. Uh, well, it's, it's made out of grapefruits and stuff like that. Oh, interesting. It's really good. I highly recommend it for anyone who is wanting to try out Shiner. So, Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. I actually have a, a beer-related story, if I may. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Now this time I get to ridicule you for talking 10 minutes about beer. Oh, don't worry. I won't <laughs> be doing that. <laughs> um, so yesterday, last night, my roommate Mitchell and I went to a beer-tasting festival here in Denver called the uh, the Winter Brew Fest, it was. 
And it was in a large event venue, and there were about somewhere between 30 to 40 breweries there, all local Colorado craft breweries, with the one weird exception of Guinness. Somehow they had a booth there. I don't know why, because this is like a craft brew, you know, local yeah. focus event. And so I don't know why the hell Guinness was there. But anyway, uh, we met up with some of his friends. There were a lot of people there. There was live music. There was free samples of some uh, free samples of all the beer you paid. You paid a fairly expensive amount for a ticket, but then that ticket let you sample all the beer you wanted, which is pretty nice. And uh, there were some people giving out food free samples and all that stuff. And it was a really great time. I tried maybe like maybe 10 or so, not all that many because I was driving, but I really enjoyed a raspberry tart beer that I'd tried. And I believe the brewery was called uh, West Facts, although I'm not sure if that was the one, but I think it was. But uh, anyway, I had a really fun time. Um, kind of wish I was drinking that raspberry tart right now, actually. <laughs> yeah. But uh, here we are. Yeah. That's my beer story. There you go. That's a good beer story, man. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Guinness, and uh, Guinness is put in like a, uh, sorry for our European listeners, or particularly our Irish listeners, but Irish car bombs was what we call here in <laughs> in Texas, which apparently is very offensive, but see, Texans don't know otherwise. Well, I'm pretty sure that's a U.S. thing. Oh, a whole U.S. thing? Well, anyway, I always wondered why they called them that, but I was educated that you know that's pretty offensive too, and I can I can see why. Exactly. But did you did you hear that story? I think I I think I heard it in my peripheral. I think I was talking to someone else at the time, but I have known about it for a while. I don't frequently order that type of drink, so yeah, it's not something I have to deal with very often. But um, I would be supportive of some sort of effort to change the name because yeah, you know, so it's, uh, it's not in good taste, and I don't know who started it, but someone could end it maybe one day. It is a very delicious drink, though. Yeah, I was. Uh... Pretty enlightened by that fact, but I will say that I had one of those shots last night with your boy Brian. Your boy, and James was our bartender, so that was pretty cool. But, uh, anyways, uh, let's talk about today's game, right? And I think many listeners will recognize this game. Um, but we got another classic here. This one's for the PC, not a Nintendo system. And this game is Roller Coaster Tycoon. Yo. It was released. Yo, yo, yo. Yo. Sorry. <laughs> it was released on uh, March 31st, 1999. And uh, as far as I can tell, it was developed or created, I guess, by three people. Uh, the programming was handled by Chris Sawyer, who is, I think, a living legend because he programmed 99% of the game in assembly language. Oh, really? Yeah. You're a computer scientist. I think you probably have a good sense of how impressive that is. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. That's that sucks. Yeah. 99% in assembly, 1% in C according to Wikipedia. 1%. And uh, for listeners who for listeners who aren't aware, assembly language is a very 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 what they call low level programming language where basically it's not very readable to humans, so it's difficult to program in. And the reason for that is because it's close to the language that computers use uh, internally to like process things. That's the way I understand it. I'm not a computer scientist, but basically it's super impressive that this guy did it all in that language. It's it's a real, a real <laughs> yeah. feat. Um, so, You're not far off. Yeah. So he did the programming. Simon Foster was responsible for the art and the graphics, and Alistair Brimble was responsible for the music and I believe also the sound design. So this legendary game 
that has left such a huge legacy was made pretty much by these three folks. So that's pretty impressive. Wow. That is pretty impressive. Oh, also they made it in about two years, I think. Okay. That makes sense. Um, but I, wow, I didn't know that at all. Assembly language. Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty rough. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, before we get into this game, think about where PC gaming is now. And then think about how it was back when this game came out. All these games that, you know, you probably played in the early 2000s, if you're our age. Um, well, I mean, you, I guess you could be any age. If, if you played a game, a PC game in the early 2000s, most people in the household didn't have this huge gaming computer. It wasn't very affordable. And consoles kind of dominated the market, I would say. Yeah. Um, so kind of think about how far that's come. You think, you look at Roller Coaster Tycoon and you're like, wow, like we've come so far, but at the same time, you know, since they didn't have that kind of, um, you know, they had to compete with the consoles and stuff like that, they had to really uh, be super creative and come up with a lot of good gameplay design and stuff like that, where I think a lot of games lack today, but back then they had to really emphasize just in order to grab your attention, and they wanted it to be addicting, and I think that's kind of what you'll see in our review about Roller Coaster Tycoon, at least on my side, um, I was really impressed by how they were able to grab the user's attention and uh, kind of keep it and kind of keep you going and challenge you. And they really put a lot of good emphasis on gameplay. I agree completely. I think that, um, to, to your point about them having to compete with consoles at the time, I think that computer games had a lot of incentive to really take advantage of the things that computers specifically had to offer. For example, the ability to use a mouse and keyboard. And uh, I think that's one of the big strengths of simulation games like this is that, you know, being able to use the mouse and keyboard allows you to, well, <laughs> allows you to just do everything you need to do in a very intuitive manner if you, you know, grew up with a computer. And uh, that's something that I think would be hard to control with a console controller. Um, and there have been ports, I think, of this game to the Xbox and to other systems like that. And I'm kind of curious to see how it feels to control this game with a traditional console controller. But I think that's another thing to think about is how you could best use the equipment and the abilities of a computer when you're designing a game for the computer back in 99 or 2000. Oh, yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, even even though I had some consoles during this time, I still played a lot of computer games like this one or Age of Empires or all those that you can think of that you played back then. Um, so this was de- I definitely enjoyed coming back to this game and it hooked me right from the get go. Um, let's just jump into oh wait no you had a funny story about your disc I did and uh, I'm glad that you <laughs> that you remembered um, yeah I have it's kind of a it's kind of a story of my first time with the game and my relationship with it over the past several years. Mm-hmm. But there is a funny part about the disc in particular, so I'll get to that. But um, my cousin Diego, who I love very much, would often come to visit us in Louisiana when we used to live there. And I would go to visit him in Mexico City, and we were very close cousins. We had a lot of fun together. And one time he was visiting us and uh, with his parents because we were pretty young. This was like in 2003, probably, 2002. And while he was here visiting us, his parents bought him Roller Coaster Tycoon. 
it came with the expansion packs because it had already been out for a couple years. So it had the whatever the two expansion packs were called. It was the whole package. They bought it for him. And because they still had a few more days here with us, they installed it on our home computer and we played it. And he and I were both just blown away by the game. I mean, just the sheer amount of stuff you can do, which I'm sure we'll spend a lot of time talking about. Um, just the, the wonder of it all really entranced us and we were in love with this game. And when it came time for Diego and his parents to go back to Mexico City, I was upset, not just because they were leaving, but because they were taking Rollercoaster Tycoon with them. <laughs> because, you know, you had to have the CD to play the game. Yeah. Um, fortunately, my older brother, Ian, came in clutch and burned me some copies of the discs. So I was able to hold on to them and, you know, play the game. But uh, the funny thing about that is I remember when Diego was packing his bag, he was putting, you know, the Rollercoaster Tycoon CDs with his stuff. <laughs> and, right. and he, you know, of course, he was taking the original, you know, the actual game CD in the game box because, you know, it's his. But I was just thinking, man, like, I want to keep those. Like, I don't want to have to keep the crappy little <laughs> Memorex CDs with Sharpie <laughs> on them that my brother made for me. Like, <laughs> of course, I... You know, I appreciate that I had the game, but it's like, man, that that disc looks so cool. It's got a big roller coaster illustration on it, all that stuff. Yeah. Do you still have the disc? No, I don't. Um, ah. But one thing that's interesting is that Diego and I continued to play Roller Coaster Tycoon together every time we would visit each other, and we did that for years and years. When Roller Coaster Tycoon three came out, I think that was in two thousand six or seven, we started playing that. Uh, we both owned it that time, so I didn't have to be jealous of him. But we would play that together, and we did that for several years. So, so Roller Coaster Tycoon is very much a game that has a lot of sentimental value for me, more so than others, because yeah. it was a real bonding opportunity for me and Diego. So I'm really happy to talk about it today, and that's that's that story. Wow, yeah, that's a that's a pretty cool story. Yeah, um, yeah. So in terms of mine, I I want to say I'm pretty sure on this, but I could be wrong. I got mine out of a cereal box. <laughs> and it was just a plain bear game, but I mean, like I still enjoyed it. I remember getting that and like the backyard games and stuff like that. I think they used to put them in like uh, cereal boxes. You know, I kind of wish they'd do that, but <laughs> I guess back then it was not as big of a deal, or you know, kind of cheap for them to do. And it kind of made you. That was a really good marketing technique. Oh, hell by yeah. the way, I mean, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my interesting story behind the disc. <laughs> Was it the full game that you received? It wasn't just a demo? Yeah. Yeah, it was the full game. And wow. speaking of which, the other day I found it. So, yeah, I was pretty excited about that. Kevin's been playing a lot of Rollercoaster Tycoon since we decided to record it. Oh, dude, I've been so <laughs> addicted to it. <laughs> yeah. In fact, we were supposed to record earlier than we did. but Like an hour because, ago. <laughs> yeah, that's my bad. Want want Because I was so addicted, I... Completely lost track of time and was like, oh shoot, we're supposed to record right now. So luckily, by Peter's gracious heart, he allowed me to uh, write some notes down and then get started a little bit later than we intended. But I'm a generous guy. We're here. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's get into the gameplay, shall we? Yeah, uh, why, don't you, why don't you go ahead since you uh, it's very fresh in your mind. It, re- it really <laughs> is. Okay, so like I said earlier, right when I started... Um, I instantly went back to my childhood. I was like, oh my gosh, this is... It was like I never left. It was like, wow. oh my gosh, this is every little bit like of what I enjoyed as a kid. And I also had the thought in my mind, I was like, I wonder if I'm like smarter and more intuitive now than back then. 
um, and can do this a little bit easier because I, the, some of the harder parks I had struggles with and whatnot. Unfortunately, I didn't get to the later levels, but uh, yeah, it was really fun. Uh, it was really addicting to build your own park and uh, reach the goals that was kind of set for you. But not just the goals that were set for you, the goals that were that you kind of set for yourself. Right. Because, like, I mean, I was satisfied with getting a park rating of, like, um, 600 or whatever they have you do by the end of whatever year. Um, and there are other goals that you can reach. But I was like, no, if when I'm done with my park, it's going to be a full park. It's going to be exactly how I want it. I'm going to have, I'm going to be making profit. I'm going to be making good profit. And Cash money. Um, yeah, my park rating is going to be really high, and I'm going to at least have a thousand guests, at least. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I I set out to reach all of those goals, but for the purpose of the podcast, I eventually had to quit some of them <laughs> and uh, kind of play the other levels and kind of get an experience of them. But I, what I found was the the levels really aren't that different. <laughs> just yeah. the terrain and stuff like that. Not even the terrain, just the texture of the grass or the dirt or whatever. Well, sometimes the terrain is different. It's more obvious in the expansion packs when they like really go out of their way to make crazy levels. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. But I mean, by and large, it's literally just kind of squared off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So love just, you know, the goals and stuff like that. And those aspects to the game, it's super in depth. Uh, you could do like financial breakdowns of stuff uh you can advertise for your park to get people to come in or go for a certain ride or a certain stall or something like that and you can like break down okay is this thing making money is this end of where are we losing money like with the financial breakdowns which is the aspect i really liked about it the most was a lot of the management and financial aspect i was like wow i feel i feel uh really adultish (laughs) uh playing this game but uh yeah i think i like that part as a kid too and you can also look at like each customer or guest or whatever you want to call them and be like, okay, are they upset? And they'd show you like a frowny face or a happy face. And you, you could find out why, because they'd have all these little categories. It's just, it's just so in depth and it's just kind of amazing to see how in depth a game like that is. And that's kind of why I was like touching on it earlier, man, they really had to emphasize gameplay and stuff like that and really kind of hook you and challenge you and make it addicting uh, for PC games back then because they just you know they had to keep up with the consoles so um, that that was why I kind of mentioned that um, another thing is I loved how pure the game is like the original Roller Coaster Tycoon at its core I mean you could tell it was a complete game it had a lot of like I said focus on the gameplay rather than how it looked it was it felt like a complete game, and there are some games out there that don't kind of feel like that right now, and then they have the DLC that kind of makes it the full game. And I know Roller Coaster Tycoon had that, but you know when they made the original game, they're like, okay, this is our pitch. You know, That's how most games go, and then they're like, then we can build on that. And I think that's the reason for it being so, feeling so complete and so pure. It was just, it just felt like a game, and it was a fun game, and... It was fun just, I don't know, playing it. <laughs> um, does that make sense? I don't know if that makes sense. but I think it does, yeah. Um, I was actually telling you earlier about how I feel that Roller Coaster Tycoon 3, which is the biggest departure from the other games in the mainline series, about how it feels a little impure to me because 
they add a lot of extra features and customization that I don't think really benefits the core of the game. And to to me to me personally, that felt a little bit bloated. But one reason, or probably the main reason that I come back to play RCT one rather than three, is because RCT one focuses on what it focuses on, and it just does such an excellent job of providing that gameplay and providing that content and all that polish for you. And you know, Rollercoaster Tycoon three doesn't depend on DLC. Uh, neither does RCT one. So that's not really an issue. It's just more of a fact of RCT one having such great focus, I think, which is really impressive given all the stuff that you can do in the game. You know, as you said, you can look at it from a more financial aspect, or if you were me when I was playing the game 10 years ago, you can just look at it from, Oh, let's make everything look cool. And hopefully I'll have enough money (laughs) to pull it off. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, you know, kind of works out at least in the earlier levels of the game. Um, but yeah, I, I see what you mean and I totally agree. Yeah, it is uh, pretty cool to look at it from different aspects as well. That's one thing I kind of forgot to mention, but it's very true. It's something I did think about is like, you can make the game whatever you want it to be. It's it's kind of flexible in that manner. Um, it's really fun. I think when I was a kid, I used to follow individual people, name them, <laughs> yeah. and I would kind of be like, okay, I want this guy to be super happy and stay at my park forever, which... Could never happen because eventually, even if they're super happy, they just want to leave. Yeah, and they run out of money. Yeah, and they run out of money. So you're like, dang it. But you try to tailor to those customers or guests. I remember getting mad that no matter what I did for some of the guests, they just were simply unhappy. I was like, you know (laughs) what? And I'd put them towards the edge of my park. They're like, I just want to go home. And they would go (laughs) and they would like be right in front of the exit, but they would walk the opposite direction. I was like, no, it's that (laughs) way. But um, getting to that, there are some things of the gameplay that I was kind of like irritated by, especially when revisiting it. When the guests get lost, and when they get lost bad, and you can kind of identify where it is because the thing will let you know if the guest is lost. Right. And uh, this especially happens like the evergreen um, level. Mm-hmm. So if it's not even, it's very picky. Uh, the game is very picky in terms of fixing park issues but um so there was one point where guests were just getting lost literally like every second every half second i was trying to identify the cause i was like okay i'm i'm removing this pathway like i made it just bare and bones and it was still having that problem so i thought that's that was really picky i i would think getting lost would be like a trail that literally leads to nothing and i think that's what they were going for i just i think it has some glitches when it came to that um another thing is the handyman algorithm it was good you know you could tell him to do different tasks which is awesome but he definitely prefers to mow and he'll definitely get lost mowing even if you tell him to do a set predetermined path um the, the algorithm for that i just didn't find it to be uh, too sophisticated. I, I'm sure they improved upon it later in two, and I know two still has the. Uh, it it picks like a whole plot for them to uh, move around on because you could set where you want them to go, but they pick like all these squares. And I just kind of wish that you could pick individual squares rather than this big lot of squares. I don't know. I I think it could have been approved, and I'm sure it wasn't two, as I didn't have as many problems in two. Um, but I think it also gets worse on bigger parks and stuff like that. So, yeah. But that's it for gameplay for me. Uh, my thoughts on gameplay, I echo a lot of the same sentiments that you did regarding the sheer amount of 
depth there is to the game, the complexity of everything, that really just gives it that magic. I totally agree with all that stuff. Um, and the amount of variety in the way you can construct rides or scenery. I love little details like being able to name things that don't really need naming, like food stalls, for example. <laughs> um, yeah. Like I always have a really good time <laughs> naming my food stalls random shit. You can name bathrooms if you want. I don't think I've ever actually done that, but I've been tempted. You can name each individual guest if you want, and you can keep track of them. As you said, that's something that you did, at least when you were younger, which is a really fun way to sort of give yourself a little side quest <laughs> while you're playing the game. Um, you can do things like individually paint different trains or cars on roller coasters, which is really cool. Um, you know, you can paint different sections of the roller coaster track, different colors, just a bunch of little polish details like that. Um, there are some cheat codes that you can activate by naming guests certain things, which is a really cool way to, to handle that, you know, rather than having like a, a cheat dialogue box somewhere. You can just name a guest a certain thing and it'll do something. And they're not game-breaking cheats. Like, they don't let you win automatically or give you a whole lot of money or whatever. But they do fun stuff. Like, um, one name, I think, makes the go-kart attraction go way faster, <laughs> which is fun to watch. Wow. I didn't know that, actually. Um, yeah. I, I was always wondering, and I was... You know, I knew you'd have some knowledge that I didn't know about this game, because <laughs> you always typically do. But... Uh, I didn't know. I was wondering if there are cheat codes, and yeah, now I know. And so, can you tell me like some more cheat codes that are like kind of cool? The only two I remember offhand are actually uh, two names of the uh, makers of the game. If you name someone Chris Sawyer, I think they go around and take photos of stuff. Like that particular guest will just have a camera and will whip it out at certain intervals to take a photo, <laughs> which again doesn't do anything, but it's cool. And then if you name someone Simon Foster, which is the name of the graphic artist, every now and then they'll take out an easel and paint a picture for like three seconds and put it away and continue on. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, those are the only ones I remember offhand, but I know that there are several. And, you know, you can easily look them up. Yeah. And it's also, speaking of guests, it's also fun just to mess with your guests. You know, you can drown them intentionally if you want by raising <laughs> water right where they are, uh, which I'm definitely guilty of doing. <laughs> You can, yeah, same. You can create types of roller coasters that can intentionally crash, which is, you know, evil but really fun every now and then. Um, you can choose to not provide bathrooms and then lock your guests in the park, and they'll literally shit on the floor. Which, <laughs> <laughs> like, who does that, man? Like these people, <laughs> these people really put all of the control in your hands. Like you can play God and do terrible shit, and it's like you wouldn't. That's not that wouldn't be your first thought when you're picking up this theme park <laughs> simulation game like oh i wonder okay well maybe crashing stuff is kind of obvious but you wouldn't think like oh maybe i can remove bathrooms and everyone will shit on the floor like well you can do that if you want <laughs> you know, like it's totally there that's actually really awesome i uh i would drown people but i always had a really guilty conscience of like making things intentionally crash i don't know why drowning was okay for me but like <laughs> Making them crash, I just—I guess I thought that was a brutal death. But thinking about it now, drowning might be worse. I'd always entrap them in such a way that they would fall from a really high height into water. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have many negatives to talk about. I have been annoyed in the past by things like guests getting lost, which I think is probably the most common complaint as far as like a bug type of situation goes, or um, like a game AI sort of situation. I think that might be the most common complaint. Um, so that is something that you have to either live with or deal with. 
other than that, I just think that the gameplay is really excellent for all the reasons we've been describing. One thing I do want to say about it, and this kind of ties into the content section, but uh, I'll try to stop it before it gets too much in that point. But you were talking about how you can really make the game whatever you want it to be, because it is very open-ended. You can create little mini goals for yourself. You can you can choose to approach the goal from any number of strategies, right? There's There's 99 ways to skin these cats in this game. And I realized, thinking back, that when I was younger, I was more than happy playing the same two to three scenarios over and over and over again. Yeah. I was kind of intimidated by the later ones because I thought, I, I got kind of scared of them. I thought, oh, I don't know if I can handle it. Like, the parks, like, every now and then you'll get a pre-made park that you have to improve rather than making one from scratch. Mm-hmm. And getting the park you had to improve, that was always scarier to me for some reason. So up until maybe 2014, I had just played the same few levels my whole life. And I think the reason I was content with that for so long is because the game is so open-ended and you can make every park as different as you want it to be while playing the same scenario. Yeah. And after you win a scenario, you know, you can build up that park as long as you want. And I've, I remember maybe like in the mid-2000s, I had built up the park in the very first level to such an extent that it had some crazy number of guests. Every tile had something on it, and I had made this crazy ride that, like, I don't know, did some weird stuff. But anyway, you can (laughs) put as much time as you want into anything. Yeah. And I was comparing that sort of sensation of doing the same thing different ways to the games that we reviewed previously, uh, Mario Kart 64 and Star Fox 64. And, you know, it's, it's totally a different type of game those two compared to this one. And those two games, you're essentially on a line, right? In Star Fox 64, you're piloting your way down a corridor. In Mario Kart 64, you're on a racetrack. And there are certainly not 99 ways to skin those cats. You know, you can only play through those levels so many different ways while still succeeding, you know. Um, So if I was forced to play the same few levels over and over again in those games, I would not be very happy. In Rollercoaster Tycoon, that's not necessarily the case you can really get a lot of mileage out of what is relatively little in-game content. Yeah. And I think that's just a magical quality for this game to have. I agree completely. Yeah, I was. Uh, I agree with you on the um, being super scared of the later levels and kind of focus, like, if I wanted to go in and just start a game or just kind of build my own thing, but still, you know, with an objective, um, I definitely would go to, like, the first four, one of the first four, and pick them. Uh, Evergreen was one I went to a lot because it gave me a lot of space to uh, work and do what I wanted. And I kind of like big parks. Yeah. Um, the very first one, I liked it, but there wasn't a lot of room for me to work. And I can never figure out the ex- like expanding your park. It never works for me, ever. I didn't even get it to work when I played this time around. I was like, why can't I expand? And they're like, you can't buy this property. I'm like, Why? <laughs> Well, you have to find... There's certain property on the map that has little, like, signposts or something when you go to that purchase land view, and those are the ones that you can buy. You can't you can't buy any old square of land. It has to be land that is pre-established as being something you can buy, and it'll, and it'll show you. Yeah, and I think a lot of levels don't even have that option. That's so. true, I think. I know, th- I know yeah. that the first level does. The other ones I'm not so sure, because usually I'm not really worried about expanding parks, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Well, Evergreen, I was like, well, can I expand? Or I think some other park. I did the beach one. Yeah, the beach one I couldn't expand. It was just, it is what it is. Um, But I kind of made the most of it. It is what it is. 
anyway, I guess th- does that wrap it up for your gameplay? Yeah, I think I've said what I need to say. Okay, cool. This time we will rate it. Uh, my last episode, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I'm gonna go ahead and give my rating for gameplay, which was a 92. That's excellent. It's an excellent rating. Yeah. What'd you get? I concur. I gave it a five out of five. There you go. Perfect score. Ding ding Perfect ding. Perfect score. <laughs> Would you mind giving me the reins on graphics? Dude, go right ahead. Sweet. Um. So I will say that this game, I think looks very excellent (laughs) this game looks very excellent um no i think that in this game everything is visually distinct from everything else for the most part which is obviously critically important when you're dealing with a simulation game that has you know 2,000 guests in a park that has 30 rides of which 15 are crazy roller coasters like you know being able to tell things apart from each other is very important and sometimes in this game of course it can be tricky because all the supports for the rides start kind of layering on top of each other and they start obscuring things. If you have a lot of uh, elevated land masses and you have paths that are sneaking through each other, then of course things can get complicated. Uh, one great thing is that the game does give you a lot of view options to where you can hide or make transparent certain elements to make it easier to see what you're doing uh, at any given time, which is really excellent. Um, and the game has a very distinctive pre-rendered 3D style, kind of like the Donkey Kong Country games for the Super Nintendo, which I think really works. Um, everything's kind of delightful in a way. They look, they exist sort of in this weird place between reality and fiction, which sometimes can give you a weird uncanny valley effect that's not pleasant. But I think in this game, everything is just cartoony enough to where it looks like a style rather than a weird interpretation of reality. And I think that suits the tone of the game really well because the game can be kind of goofy at times. Uh, you know, it's not all yeah. it's not all suit and tie, so it's really nice that it has that that balance in its visuals. Um, one thing that I found really charming is that in the user interface, you have the tabbed windows where you know each tab has different functions that you can access. Right. And every tab has an icon, and every icon has a little looping animation that it'll play for as long as you're on that tab. And it's totally unnecessary. Like no one needed to do that, but yeah. you know Simon Foster took it upon himself to create that, and that's just you know one of the many little layers of polish on this game that I think just puts it above and beyond um, some other games that I've played. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. And the animation thing is, yeah, that's something I uh, noticed as a kid as well. Yeah, we were talking earlier about the uh, variety of terrain. I think, or you might have mentioned something along those lines. Yeah. And, you know, there are there are only so many biomes, I guess, that you can operate in. The first level is a forest. The second level is a desert. The third one, I think, is a lake, which is, you know, a body of water, but still in a forest. And so there's only so much variety there. There are a couple levels that take place in, like, uh, in a cliffside or on a set of islands. So there is variety to the geography, um, visually, it's still more or less grass and water a lot of the time. In the expansion packs, they do vary it up quite a bit where they'll have ice worlds. There's one world that's supposed to be on Mars and they have like water that's actually lava. It's, you know, it's red water. It's supposed to be lava. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I think the thing sort of about that, even if there's not a whole lot of variety in the way that the different levels look, the point is, is that all the levels are kind of the same anyway, as you were saying. Like, you know, whatever your goal is, usually you can accomplish it by playing the game the same way 
that way being however you want to play. Yeah. Because that's kind of the way the game works. So I think that being able to make the park look the way you want it with the elements that you have available to you and all the rides and scenery and stuff is more important than like having a bunch of different biomes or what have you that the game exists in. Because there is a lot of scenery and you can plant trees and you can yeah. create statues and fountains. Um, there are themed scenery. So for example, you can unlock... This might be an expansion only. I've only ever owned the expansions, so that's my viewpoint here. You're right. There is some themes in uh, the statues and whatnot, but go ahead. Well, yeah, I was, I was just going to say they have certain themes, like uh, they have a snow theme where you can place snowmen and snowballs and stuff. They have an Egyptian theme. They have a spooky theme with skeletons and stuff like that, uh, a Roman theme, medieval themes, and, and it goes on and on, and by the time you get to the end, you have all this variety to choose from, and you know you can be really tacky with it if you want. You can be really tasteful. Like the game doesn't care; <laughs> it's just up to you. <laughs> but everything's yeah. really colorful and vibrant, and it feels like a nice little world that you created. The only critique that I have really is that the guests are all basically little blobs that are all like white people with brown hair, which I think is kind of a problem. Yeah, you know. But, oh, and there's but no it, females. Yeah, there are no females either. They all have like short hair. They're all like white dudes with short brown hair is what they are. So um, <laughs> not a very diverse yeah. crowd. <laughs> but at least the guests don't need to be visually distinctive from each other. They're they're really not important. You only really care about guests as a whole being happy, right? So it's not important for you to tell the guests apart from each other, although it would be nice if they weren't all white men with short brown hair. But uh, <laughs> Right. <laughs> I feel like I've been yeah. going on a tear here with my graphics, but that's... Uh, I, I got, have to say, I think I got it all out of my system. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I think you did. I think it looks pretty good, too. Um, going back to your point about, I, I hadn't played any Mars levels or anything like that, um, but I was kind of wondering if they had one in space, because I think that would be pretty funny and interesting. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't really add a whole lot to it, but it, it would just be another neat little quirk, and it is fun to see that they did that. Um, I know we're not here to rate, two or anything, but uh, I did notice I, I bought two shortly after you said uh, you got it on sale. I uh, I bought it, and uh, I noticed that it has, you know, you can have themes with your statues and stuff like that, but it has themes with the buildings as well. Like, you can do a medieval age or, or a dark age or something like that. That's what I started out with, so that was pretty cool. They made some attempt, at least with the expansions, to do some kind of theme. I, I didn't have the expansion. I didn't have that luxury or probably didn't even recognize that it existed. But I think all of it's really cool. I wouldn't say it was like it absolutely wows you and is the best aesthetically pleasing. In terms of visuals, it was not horrible, but it's not like super awesome in my mind. Right. It definitely did its job and it definitely... It's good enough to be pleasing to the eye, and you can make it what you want it, and you can make it more appealing. You have that option. You can spend as much time and detail on it as you want, and the frame rate is really smooth for having all that content on it. Yeah, I meant to say that, actually. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. Honestly, that's pretty much everything I had to say for visuals. Uh, I will say the UI, and I was kind of worried about this playing two after one, that some in some ways it could affect my view of one, but I, I still think it's mostly unchanged, except for the fact that I noticed the UI is much better looking and much more discreet in two. Not that it needed to be discreet or anything like that, but um, 
the UI is pretty meh in one, I would say. But it has everything that you need, and yes, there are those animations with it when you click a button. So, I mean, overall, still pretty good. What's your uh, What's your hot rating for the visuals? Uh, 87. 87, very nice. I feel similarly, well, I feel a little more positively about it. I kind of agree with you that it's not necessarily a game that visually wows you, but I do think it does its job really well, and I don't think there's anything missing. Um and and I do get a lot of joy from the various little visual flourishes and the style of it all. So I'm going to go ahead and give it a 5 out of 5, personally. Okay, yeah. I I don't disagree with that at all. I think that's a good rating. I just, I guess, overall, I was like, okay, I, I couldn't put it above an A for some reason. I was like, mm-hmm. it's not like it's, you know, like I said, wowing. But on your scale, it makes sense for a 5 out of 5. Yeah. Um, for sure. Cool. That brings up audio then. Do you want me to get into that, or you can go ahead again if you want? Uh, no, I, I think I kind of dominated the last section without meaning to, so I, I'll let you go ahead and start <laughs> with the audio. Okay, audio, um, not a whole lot to say. Um, <laughs> I do like the uh, trailing voices or the screams from the people in the park. Um, as If you got further away from the area, it would trail away, and then... It was kind of cool that they did that, kind of like, you know, some people do underwater music where they muffle the sound or something like that. Um, so I thought it, it was pretty cool that they made a point to put that in. Um, with the music and all the sounds and everything, it really it's very immersive. It makes you feel like you are in a theme park. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool as well. Right. Um, if you want a soundtrack of... <laughs> Uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon. Uh, I I don't think that that's gonna be too awesome. <laughs> I know there probably is one, but it's like, eh, <laughs> it's not a soundtrack kind of game. You know, it's exactly. it's more of like uh, complementing the sounds within the game. And that and you know, as a computer or a PC game, they didn't set out to to make a soundtrack for the game. It it was more of you know the sounds of what's happening and making you feel immersed into that world. And I think they did a good job of that. Right, I agree. The only complaint I have about it is that, and it makes sense, but if you go out into an area where there's nothing, it's kind of quiet and and it's kind of dead, and kind of you kind of lose sense of the game, like that immersiveness. And I and I understand you're going away from it, but like now I'm kind of like out of the game, and I'm kind of bored when I'm out in the open, and I don't want to. I find myself not wanting to spend too much time out there because all the commotions elsewhere. So I'm just kind of like I, I just it it discourages me from expanding, even though expanding in itself is, I, I guess it could arguably encouraging because you want it to sound like a theme park everywhere and build out there and make it sound good. But I was just kind of like, ugh, this is kind of eerie. <laughs> so I would have to go all. It's literally dead silent. So um, yeah, that's a really interesting point. You know, I I bet that if if the thought had occurred to them, maybe it did, maybe it didn't, but I'm sure it would be possible to put some sort of ambient noise, you know, depending on the, the climate or the biome you're in that would start playing whenever you get to those wide open areas. For example, in the first level, that's the forest. Maybe you get out in the open and then you hear like birds chirping or crickets or something like that. And then maybe as you get closer to the action that fades away. Um, but a, a counterpoint I have to that, and it's a very personal counterpoint. I'm not saying you're wrong. And I'm not saying that I'm right. 
but I kind of liked being out in the open precisely because I was away from all the commotion. Um, <laughs> not, not that I dislike the sound effects, and I'll talk a little bit more about that, but I found it sort of peaceful to be out there because normally when I'm out in the open, I'm either creating a new path network or I'm building out a roller coaster that starts close to the action then gets further away. But I kind of enjoyed that serenity. It sort of allowed me to focus more on what I was doing, and I find I found myself being more able to lose track of time when I was doing things like that out in the open with just the silence. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I guess that is kind of opposite views on that. But yeah, just different strokes, I guess. Yep. Well, cool. Uh, I gave my audio rating an eighty-five. Um, if you want to talk more in detail about your audio rating you can, or audio section, you can. I just go ahead and give it that. So I think it was like an 87, 85, 86 was the aesthetic rating. Sure. Um, I don't have all too many comments on the audio kind of for the same reasons as you. I don't think it's impressive, but it is immersive. Yeah. Uh, which is more or less the gist of what you said to my understanding. Yeah. One thing that is really cool is that, I, I don't know if you know about this, and I don't know if this is in the default Rollercoaster Tycoon or not, but there is an ability to add custom music loops to the game that you can assign to attractions. Um, and it, there's sort of a, convolu- a convoluted way to do it. You have to go into Explorer, and you have to create audio files that fit certain criteria, like they have to be a certain sample rate and stuff. But you can, if you have the mind to, you can like trim out a loop of whatever song you want and then put that in the game. So... Knowing me, of course, I had to do that, right? Yeah, and uh, it's really right. cool. It's a fun. It's another fun polish. You know, it's not something that everyone's going to know about or want to do, but uh, it is cool that they yeah. give you that option. And that's something that in Rollercoaster Tycoon Three, for example, you could uh, import entire like MP3 tracks. So, of course, when I played that game, I had like my <laughs> my whole library of RCT three suitable music that <laughs> the game would pull from, and I could just you know put on whatever track I wanted. But uh, that's that's a different game. That's hilarious. You you would do that. I would. Yeah. Even <laughs> even back then, I was doing that, making my RCT mixtapes. Um, <laughs> and this game, the music, um, I don't think we ever actually explicitly said, but you can you can set a music track from a list that's available to you uh, for any attraction that you want. You know, if you want your roller coaster to have like a rock and roll theme, you can do that. If you want your uh, or like little swan pedal boats nearby to have a gentle like water type theme, you can do that as well. Um, but those music loops are pretty short. You know, if you were to focus on one of them, like in a soundtrack environment, as you were talking about, then you would think, oh man, whatever, it's just a forty-five second loop. But in the game, it works really well because you're not usually focusing on something like that for so long. Yeah. Um, so they definitely achieve their purpose of creating that ambiance that makes you feel like you're there. One fun little touch that they do is that whenever a ride malfunctions and it breaks down, if music is playing for that ride, the music will kind of like slow down and stop. It'll go like the sort of thing, yeah, which is really awesome. I did notice that. The carousel ride, if you have the carousel theme on it, there's a certain type of breakdown where the carousel will start going really fast and like everyone on it will throw up. And when that happens, the music gets really, really fast, and it's it, it very much catches your attention if you're like out elsewhere in the park, and then you hear the <laughs> and you go back and like, oh my god, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just it, it's cool, you know. The music is not the selling point of the game. Well, I don't think any of the audio is the selling point of the game. It's uh, it's the least impressive part of the game, I think. But that's not saying much because the rest of the game, I think, is really impressive. Yeah, my one like little complaints, I guess, 
is that some of the actions that the guests do have sound effects associated with them, and I don't think they're really necessary. For example, every time a guest spends money, you hear a little cash register noise. Yeah. And every time a guest uses the toilet, you hear a flushing noise. And it's like, I mean, I guess you would hear that if you were in a theme park. And I know that it's, you know, representing something that's going on in the game, so it's somewhat useful information. But, like, once you get past a certain point, there's a lot of people in your park, and they're all spending their money, and they're all using the toilet. And it's like, the sound effects lose their value. They don't become useful. And I think they're just kind of distracting at that point. You certainly don't hear cash register noises or toilet flushes everywhere you go when you're in a real theme park. Like, but you do hear people, yeah. you know, screaming on a roller coaster, and you do hear people maybe sometimes like talking about how fun something is. And those sound effects are in this game. You know, if you have a ride that people enjoy, they get off it and they laugh or they cheer or whatever. And like, that's kind of cool. You know, it's like it's it's reassuring. It makes you feel good. Like, oh, I have this cool ride. Yeah. But the cash register noise, the bathroom noise, like we don't need that. Like just. <laughs> Can I be honest? Always. Okay, I really, really like the cash register noise because <laughs> it gave me a sense of satisfaction that I was earning money and it was coming from left and right, especially in crowded areas. It was like, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. I was like, yes. And it's like those movies that you see, you know, you know, you, those kind of sound effects happen all over the place and the, the, the person's making money. is like, oh, yes, this is glorious. That's kind of the moment I have when... When that happens, I'm like, all right, everything's working properly. It gave me a sense of satisfaction that, you know, I am making money. My park's performing well, especially in this area. So I, I really enjoy that. And the flushing, I guess I just kind of overlook it sometimes. <laughs> I, I just, I feel so like a part of a theme park. So I, I don't know. I, I really liked both of the sounds. I mean, not that I like the sound of a flushing toilet, but I think it was. For me, it was more hey, no, no shame if you do, man. We're not here to judge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, after this podcast, when I go flush my toilet, just to uh, yeah. just to get that sound. <laughs> I'm definitely sampling a toilet flush on my next track. By the way, <laughs> it'll be called it'll be called do Kevin's it. Kevin's uh, Serenade. Yeah. <laughs> do it. I dare you. I dare you to do that. Before I give my rating, I do have one more thing I forgot to mention. Okay. So earlier we were talking about intentionally crashing roller coasters. And uh, first of all, it has a very satisfying explosion sound. As that's, that's not what I meant to say, but that is a relevant point. But you were talking earlier about how you felt a real sense of guilt when you were crashing roller coasters, which, by the way, I did as well. I don't think I mentioned that. Um, but part of the reason I think that we might feel that way is because there's an interesting uh, sound phenomenon that happens whenever... A ride crashes when you're viewing a ride like when, when you've clicked on an attraction and it's little like window is on your screen if you click on the camera icon it'll do a thing where uh it's kind of hard to describe but it'll focus all of the audio to only be the audio from the area where the ride is oh yeah so if you're off in some corner of your park but you have the the window for that one ride pulled up you can like enable that option and then you'll be hearing what's going on in that area only yeah, and not what's going on wherever you actually are. So what happens is, if you're somewhere in your park and a ride crashes without you meaning it to, what it does is the, the window for that ride comes up, and then all the other sound is muted, and you only hear the sound of the ride crashing and like whatever's in the immediate area. So you'll be you know tending to something or other, and you'll hear the music from wherever you are, and you'll hear the people 
spending money on stuff. And then all of a sudden you hear, <laughs> and like everything else goes quiet. Yeah. And it's like, shit, man, like something just crashed. Like it, it sucks. And it's just yeah, like it's a really, really eerie. Yeah. It's the one thing that the game does with sound that I think is really like emotionally resonant. Yeah. Because the music isn't really like that. The sound effects aren't really like that because it's not supposed to be emotionally resonant. It's supposed to immerse you, which, I mean, I guess you could argue that's emotional, but whatever. But when a ride crashes, you hear it. Yeah. And it forces you to look at it because that window comes up. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, look at your failure. Look at your failure. Look at all your dead guests. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> this was your fault, yeah. Your park rating is about to be halved. <laughs> like, yeah. <look> <laughs> Yeah, that was really rough. Not to make light of uh, amusement park accidents because those are real and they're actually pretty terrifying. But yeah, um, but yeah, that's a that's one very powerful audio trick that the game does. Um, and yeah, with that, I, I think on that somber note, uh, I'm done with my audio comments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. So, what did you what did you get it? What's your uh, audio rating? My rating is a four out of five. Four out of five. That's about what I expected. Yeah, judging from the way you talked about it. Um, I guess that moves on to content. Do you want to pick it up here? If you don't mind, I don't have all that much to say, so I, I can kind of get it out of yeah. the way. Okay. So the content section is the part I'm the most iffy about, and that's because I've never actually completed the game, neither the base game nor its expansion packs. As I said before, I was always content to play the same few scenarios over and over again when I was younger. Right, And even when I started actually making my way through scenarios in about 2014, I made my way through like maybe a half to two-thirds of the base game. And I, didn't, I still didn't make much headway in the expansion packs, although I did do a couple of those. So I don't have a good gauge, I guess, of how much content there is in the game, because I don't know how long it takes to complete the other scenarios. I didn't have a good sense of how much time I was spending on the ones I did play, because you kind of lose track of time when you do stuff like this. So I don't really, you know, I, I can't really speak to that part of the content rating. And I also am not entirely sure how difficult the game gets later on. I found myself never really having trouble in the scenarios I was playing. There's maybe one scenario that I found kind of tricky. But having said that, I wasn't, I wasn't near the end of the game. You know, I was like halfway through, two-thirds through at the most. So I'm not really in a position to say that the game is too easy or too hard or just right. I'm not really in a position to say that the game is too long or too short or just right. I have a limited viewpoint there. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to admit that, you know, being totally honest on this podcast. Yeah. One definite thing I can say, which I think is a weakness, is that the game doesn't have a true sandbox mode where you can do whatever you want. Now, it comes close if you have the expansion pack because one of the default missions in the last expansion pack... It's called Arid Heights, and the scenario is that you have unlimited money, and eventually I think you can research almost all of the attractions in the game, if not all of them. But if your park rating falls below a certain point and you don't raise it back up within a certain amount of time, then you lose. Mm. So you have to maintain a high park rating for however many units of in-game time, but you have unlimited money. So I would gravitate to that scenario a lot because it was the closest thing that the game had to a proper sandbox mode. And I don't think that the games even had a like a legitimate, proper, here-you-go sandbox mode until RCT3. Although 2 kind of came close because it had an editor where you could change things about scenarios. But um, anyway, that's the only thing I felt like was really missing. 
because it, it feels to me like a really obvious thing. And I've said this before in our past two episodes, like I think it's obvious that in Mario Kart 64, you should be able to race one track. I think it's obvious that in Star Fox 64, you should be able to play one level. Well, in this game, I feel like it's obvious that you should be able to have a sandbox mode. Like, I don't know. Maybe I have all these great ideas and no one else did, or maybe maybe there were <laughs> restraints or restrictions of some sort. But like, I don't know, man. Just or, or at least have cheats that let you emulate that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I gotcha. That's kind of my piece for content, really. Okay. It certainly seems adequate and it seems good. I just want a sandbox mode. <laughs> Long story short. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, going to content from my side, then. I thought that content was its strongest suit, and this is why. It's not so much the extra stuff, it's what the game has itself um, that kind of could be considered extra stuff, but they kind of make part of the game anyway. And we kind of touched on it on gameplay. It was hard to not touch on the content without the gameplay. Right. But, um, you know, they they added so much to the game that wasn't necessary but was cool to have anyway, and that's kind of what I considered, you know for this rating um so like naming the guests uh listening to what the guests think that could make your park better uh the advertising for your park financial breakdowns and stuff like that uh your rating breakdowns your trends you had graphs of all this stuff um you can custom build your own rides you can color them they had you can make paths tunnels any kind of i don't even know the ride improvements you could do research i don't know if we've touched on this you could do research to either find some new rides or do ride improvements for the ones that you have and kind of change your ride or the carts that they have and stuff like that. Uh, you could have the handyman do different tasks or you can set them on a certain path. Um, there was just so much to this game that I just thought it was super in-depth and you can, and because of such content, you could take the game and play it any way that you want to. Um, you didn't have to beat the whole game. It wasn't really the whole point. Um, it was more. Uh, it didn't seem like the point for me. The point for me was to create a cool theme park that I enjoyed and that I could gain all these guests and stuff like that. Um, the objectives were cool if you were wanting a challenge, and I did like that aspect as well. Um, meeting those challenges sometimes they were rigorous, and if you didn't meet them, you could still go on anyway. Right. So I mean, like, there's several <laughs> different ways that you could play the game, and the content, in my opinion, was just so huge that. It almost just seems like it's a part of the game, but if the game was just building roller coasters and and uh, buildings, I mean, that would be cool, yeah, but they didn't have to have all this extra stuff. Um, and each of the, you know, you had a handyman, an entertainer, uh, a police officer, a mechanic, they all did different roles, and you can have different strategies with them. I just thought the game had all that stuff. Now, to your point, I agree. Uh, sandbox mode might have been pretty pretty beneficial but i never found myself uh, as a young kid or even now uh thinking about that in particular there's so much freedom when you start especially on a, a level that doesn't have anything built uh that i i just kind of it feels like i'm on my own anyway and i like the aspect of having money and and stuff like that uh but uh, i could see someone just wanting to build to build um, right. Just make this really cool park. Um, that was never my desire, but I could see that being a desire of a majority of people. Um, so I guess that, yeah, that would kind of go into, it doesn't necessarily go into my rating for content, but I could see how that could affect yours. Yeah. Um, and like you said, they fixed that issue later. Um, 
two. The question about two, because I know you've played two, right? Barely at all, really. I, I've read more about it than I have actually played it. Okay. I noticed when I pulled it up earlier, and like I said, this has nothing to do with the first one, or the rating for the first one, but doesn't it have like a park editor and all that stuff where you can import your own park, and as well as roller coasters and things like that? Yeah, so I, I think I might have briefly mentioned this a little while ago, but you can, well, there is a scenario editor, so you start off with a tract of land and you can customize the types of attractions that you'd start with in the scenario. I think you can possibly change uh, the cost of things or how money works. Um, but essentially, it gives you the ability to define your starting point for a scenario, which you could share with other people if you wanted to. And there is also there is also a standalone roller coaster building tool to where you can just build a roller coaster with no uh, limitations. And when you're playing an actual game later, if you have the space and the money, you can then import that roller coaster and just build it. Like you know, it, it'll become like a preset roller coaster. Right. So taking that and knowing all that stuff, and I kind of tried to dabble in that. I kind of just basically uh, clicked on them to see what they were. But that is something that one could have used, and I think would have added to the content as well. Um, but that's again not to say that two hurts one and its rating. Right. And every every game that you have, especially the first iteration, you learn from it. Even if it's a good one, you learn from it and you try to improve and make a better one the next time around. And I believe that's what they did with two. Um, but going back to my original point in gameplay, I just feel like this all around is just a great game. Has an amazing amount of content for a first game and an original game. So uh, honestly, I I think the content is pretty good on my part um, for w- what I was expecting. And what I was given, and it was basically more than I expected. So, right, yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned. Uh, well, one one of the biggest aspects of your content rating seemed to be the amount of stuff you can do in the game. Yeah, which is interesting because when it, when it was my turn to talk about gameplay, that was the focus of my gameplay section. I, I think that in this game, the variety of the gameplay that we were talking about and the amount of detail that you can get into if you choose that helps you extend the content, right? So they really are intertwined in this game. I just want to emphasize that I agree with you on all of that stuff, even though I didn't say it in my content section, I kind of said it in my gameplay section, but that's just uh, the way that this particular game works, I think. Yeah. Cool. Well, I give mine a 95. Ding. Yeah. I uh, I gave mine a 4 out of 5, so an 80. A 4. Yeah. I think uh, I think the sandbox mode is well. Part of the reason I gave it a four is I, as I said, I didn't really have the complete sense of the entire game since I never beat it. Um, and also, I wish that there was a sandbox mode. So between those two things, I sort of erred on the side of imperfection and gave it a four. <laughs> if that makes any sense, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. No, it makes sense. And I think your rating should tailor to what you think about the game and then what I think about the game. It kind of makes us a more complete. IG score, which is now what I'm going to dub our overall scores or average scores between the two. I'm going to call it the IG score. Hell yeah. Yeah. But um, adding up all my scores, uh, I got 92 for gameplay. Um, aesthetics, I think I had an 86 overall. And then my content was a 95. So my overall, my personal overall, rounded to a 91. Um, so that those were my scores. 
Well, you're never going to believe this, but my four scores were five, five, four, and four, which adds up to 18. If you multiply that by five, you get a 90. So, wow. (laughs) You and I are, uh, we're very much playing the same baseball game here. Yeah, no kidding. It's a 90.5. It's a good ass game. Yeah. I was looking at the previous, you know, there was no Metacritic score for Roller Coaster Tycoon. And I guess it's just one of those early games where, and it's kind of overlooked games that people just really? didn't go out of their way to rate. Yeah, I, there was no score. That surprises me. Yeah. I don't want to doubt you on our podcast, but I, I feel like that can't be right. <laughs> I'm very surprised. Well, I checked, and maybe I'm just wrong, but I could not find one. So uh, for our fact checkers out there, Tweet at if us. If you want to prove me, on, yeah, tweet at us <laughs> and prove me wrong because I definitely like to be wrong. But I looked at two and three; uh, they were both around a, a ninety rating. So I want to say Roller Coaster Tycoon's pretty consistent. Um, delivers uh, great A games. Yeah. Oh, that's something that they can be proud of. Yeah. Um. So I guess that wraps us up for our review and puts us on to our next segment which segment is that it is called the quick attack section oh hell yeah and basically this one is like a buy or sell questions um but we kind of rearrange the words um to be like uh goofy stuff yeah goofy stuff um and this week it's loot or shoot uh shoot obviously (laughs) being the negative (laughs) connotation here but uh, basically, you're going to be like, okay, yeah, I, I buy that, or no, nah, I'm going to sell that. I don't, I don't believe in that. But it's going to be loot or shoot, and loot being the positive term, shoot being the negative one. Can I, not that I dislike loot and shoot, but can I propose a topical alternative? What's that? How about coastin' or roastin'? Coastin' or roastin'? Yeah, since we're talking about RCT. Eh? Eh? Oh, coasting. Oh, roller yeah. coaster. That took me yeah. a while to get. <laughs> I was like, what? Okay, yeah, we'll do coaster roast. Hell Let's yeah. Let's do it. Sorry, I, I don't Coast mean to steal your thunder. Roast. I just thought of it on the you, spot. You completely stole it. I also thought about just now, like when we were talking about it, loot or boot. Ooh, I, I, I like, like oh. that better than shoot, actually. Maybe, yeah, uh, me too. Maybe put that in the back pocket for next time, maybe. All right. If we talk about a pirate game. Yeah, we'll do that next podcast, because now we got Coast or Roast. Hell yeah. And without further ado, let's go. Okay, so I just want to preface this segment with by saying uh, Crystal Version. I know I had talked about it, I think, last podcast, being for it being released on 3DS. Uh, I didn't get that right. <laughs> it was actually released yesterday. But it was on its. It was on the eShop, and I saw the advertise for it, and you could buy it and pre-order it. But I didn't notice that it was a pre-order. I thought it was just available, like all the rest of the ones. So it just came back out. You don't have to uh, coast to roast that one. But I uh, just thought I would start off the segment by realizing my errors. Yeah. Well, by the way, uh, we're recording this on January twenty seventh, so the game was released on January twenty sixth. Yes. Yeah. So, getting to our first fact, Roller Coaster Tycoon is conveniently enough, you know, we're talking about the game um, today. Um, Atari, who is now in charge of Roller Coaster Tycoon, is wanting to start an investment program where you can invest a minimum of two hundred and fifty dollars 
to help them get a new game out for the Nintendo Switch. They need a minimum of minimum of 10k to get the project started, and they have an ultimate goal of reaching 1.07 million. Are you coasting? Or are you roasting? Roasting, and here's why. Uh, so I was actually kind of excited about this when you first mentioned it to me by text message a couple of days ago, but I was reading up about it today, and I realized that the people who were critiquing it probably had a better case than I did. And they were saying, why does Atari need to essentially crowdfund something like this when they're not exactly a company that's hurting for money? Like, I'm sure, you know, they're not the powerhouse they were in like the 80s or whatever, but they're still a large company with a lot of money and properties that they own. And also, I haven't been in touch with this because I haven't really played modern roller coaster tycoon games, but they apparently don't have a very good track record with the games that they have made since like roller coaster tycoon 3. So people, I think, have a good reason to be wary of this. I think the idea of investing in a game is cool, but I don't think that Atari needs to do this for the reasons I mentioned. Okay. So I'm going to say roasting on this. That's fair. I think that's a fair point. I would say that uh, they might want to be, they're trying to possibly test the waters and see the demand for it. I'm not sure. Maybe it would be nice if they came out and stated why, or maybe a more... uh, a different kind of uh, Kickstarter. Here's that, an idea. You know, more incentives. Here's an idea. If you want to see if people are interested, just ask them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't ask them to participate <laughs> in your crazy investment scheme for a video game that you already have the capital to produce. <laughs> like, just, hey, do you guys want Very us to make true. a game Y or N? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, okay. Yeah, fair point. Okay, next question. Battle Royale games have really taken off uh, in the last few months with games like Fortnite and PUBG. Are you uh, coasting or are you roasting this new form of this new wave of gameplay? Uh, I guess I'll say coasting. I don't have anything against them. I, I haven't played them, so I can't speak from that standpoint. But I know that you really enjoy Fortnite. I know that other people I know really enjoy PUBG, which is Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. By the way, for people who might not know. Um, I mean, as long as we don't have total market saturation in the future, I'm happy with them being popular, and I'm happy with people enjoying video games. So I'm gonna go ahead and say coasting. All right, cool. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty coasting on it too. Uh, playing it myself, you can get really addicted to it. <laughs> um, but I'm moving on. Uh, Battlefront Two is revamping their progression system uh, in further updates with their second season uh, now on the way. Um, are you coasting? Are you roasting the fact that they are rethinking things for their progression system? I guess I'm coasting. Sorry, I was about to say the wrong thing. Um, I hope that they make (laughs) good decisions and I hope that they have heard customer feedback because I'm sure that they've gotten a lot of that from what I've seen as an outsider. Yeah. They apparently have a new game mode coming with that as well. It's like a jetpack kind of thing. Introducing the all-new jetpack mode. Be in a jetpack and fly around and shoot people. <laughs> Only on the Battlefront 2. And it's limited time, so I'm not sure what the why it's limited time. Why? why I don't know. Is this piece of news the reason why you chose loot or shoot? Because we're talking about like loot boxes and a shooting game and stuff? <laughs> no, purely coincidence. Uh, I should have done loot or boot, though. I was just trying to find words that rhyme. Yeah. <laughs> That's my goal in life, is to find words that rhyme. <laughs> so you're uh, coasting? 
Yeah, why not? Yeah. Okay, so next fact, and uh, you and I are aware of this, but uh, the people might not know. The popular Super Smash Bros. Melee tournament titled Genesis had its fifth installment recently where a new player on the rise with the gamertag Plup won the tournament. This was a huge uh, deal because no other players besides Mago and Armada had won the series. Um, and also because typically only like one of five people win these big national tournaments. So are you coasting or are you roasting this new up-and-coming player named Plup? Well, not up-and-coming, but on-the-rise player. That's my answer. <laughs> Coasting? I'm, I'm going to guess. Enthusiastic applause. Enthusiastic. Inter-enthusiastic applause. We're on the Plup Club here in Colorado, so we're all very happy for him. <laughs> yeah, did y'all rename your Facebook? I renamed it the, the Pulp Culp. <laughs> That's funny. Actually, the reason I did that is because... Uh, I, I did rename our group chat Plup Club, like, you know, the actual words Plup Club. And he said, oh, Peter, it's funny you did that because my other Melee group chat also named their chat Plup Club. And so I thought, oh, we can't have that. So then I changed mine to Pulp Culb <laughs> in the hopes that he would get confused <laughs> and, like, post the wrong thing in the wrong one or something. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah I've always thought Pulp when I see his name. <laughs> Pulp Culb. Yeah. Uh, on to the next one. Um... Nintendo is releasing a new product called Nintendo Labo, which is a product that is solely marketing to kids by making cardboard accessories for the Nintendo Switch, enabling them to interact with the cardboard and the Switch simultaneously. Are you coasting or are you roasting? <laughs> I'm laughing because I know how you feel about it, or at least how you felt about it last time I saw you write about it on <laughs> Facebook. Uh, I'm going to say coasting, yeah. partially just to be contrarian to you. But uh, also, uh, like, it seems kind of cool. Like, I, I haven't looked into it, right, um, very much, so I don't have the full scoop. But depending on, on the, the features, depending on the price point, depending on a lot of things, I think it could be really cool. I think that the act of making stuff physically is awesome, and integrating that into digital games seems like a good idea to me, as long as it's done well. Uh, that remains to be seen, I guess. But yeah, on, as far as the actual idea goes, I'm, I'm coasting. Okay, well, uh, I'll try not to get into too much detail about how ridiculous it is, but I will say that it is $70 for one game. Uh, I think it's just the regular cardboard stuff, and then $80 for the backpack one. I, I believe that's correct. For the fact checkers out there, if I'm wrong, once again, you can you can holler at our Twitter. Um, but then I think the replacements are $10 a pop, and I feel like they're going to break a lot. So, uh, honestly, I feel like it's, I don't know, the cardboard really? Really? I don't know. It's not like an amiibo, you know, where uh, it's interactive with the game. You can use the amiibo in the game, um, and it also stands as like a collective item. Uh, ideally, the cardboard is going to break at some point. It doesn't even look like well-built cardboard. But, I mean, I could get into a whole tangent about that and about how I feel about it, but that's not the point of the segment. Anyway... That wraps up our segment um, for Quick Attack. Yeah, I think we had some interesting prompts this time around. Not that the other ones weren't, but it's always good to see what you come up with. I like being kept in the loop by means of Kevin telling me things to prove or disapprove of. <laughs> it makes yeah. life very easy for me. Yeah, and then you, you hear about all the gaming news and whatnot. Yeah. So, 
So uh, that about uh, does it for us. A uh, little recap. We gave this game an overall of 90.5. Uh, so pretty solid. Yeah. That ranks, I think, second? Yeah, below Star Fox and above Mario Kart. Yeah. Which sounds, sounds right to me. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, Peter, you got anything to uh, you got anything to say? I do. Thank you for asking. Um, so, as you guys probably know by this point, we do exist on social media platforms. We have our Facebook, which is the Interstate Gamers. We have our Twitter, which is uh, shoot the IG underscore Cast. I think. Yes. All right. We have an email address for fan mail and hate mail, which is the Interstate Gamers <laughs> at gmail dot com. Right. Uh, we do have a really nifty website powered by Simplecast, who takes care of our hosting. Thank you, Simplecast. Our website is theinterstategamers.review. Yes, you heard that right. Dot .review, it exists. Oh, yeah. Kevin, I believe, purchased that domain for $5 for five years. I did. <laughs> which is somehow a better deal than buying Rollercoaster Tycoon 2 with expansion packs for three thirty nine, which is what he and I did. <laughs> so we're, we're getting a lot of mileage out of our money uh, in this endeavor. Which obviously means we'll be here for five years. Right. <laughs> you know, we, we've, we've each played like 2,000 games in common with each other. I think we can really keep this going for infinity. <laughs> I do, yeah. <laughs> uh, Kevin, I do want to thank you personally for, as always, being on top of the social media, um, in, engaging with the listeners and the followers and what have you i think that you're doing a, a bang-up job as they would say in britain oh we didn't mention that these people uh <laughs> smashing I, i'm not sure what country the developers and makers of rct i don't know where they're from but i do know that they are from i believe either the island of great britain or the nearby isles so they are, they are uh our transatlantic friends so oh, okay. shout out to that them. makes sense honestly yeah if if you pay enough attention to like the way that things are written in the game, you can start to kind of see that. But anyway, um, one last thing I do want to say regarding like us and social media and stuff is that we have a spreadsheet where we will be entering in the data of our reviews. For example, the ratings we gave each category individually, as well as the overall IG rating. So if you go to the following URL, which is tinyurl.com slash IG ratings, no spaces, no hyphens, no anything, just tinyurl.com slash IG ratings. You can find that spreadsheet and we'll be updating it every time we review a game. Uh, I'll be inputting the hard numbers if you care about that sort of stuff. If you don't feel like listening to a podcast, you just want to see what we thought of a game because you value our opinion that much, you can go ahead and do that. <laughs> that option's available too. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for setting that up, man. I know you uh, worked hard on your spreadsheets, and I know how you like your spreadsheets. So I thought I would give you that reign. Yeah, I'm the I'm the spreadsheet master. That's what they call me. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Uh, that about does it. Yeah, I uh, just want to thank all the listeners. You guys are awesome, and uh, we love you very much. And until next time, I wait. I wait. I wait. <laughs> Kevin, what are you waiting for, dude? <laughs> Are you waiting for the end of the podcast because we're there already, man? The devil. Bye, right, he starts firing. <laughs> all, right. Uh, all right. See you guys. Well, thanks, guys, for listening. We'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.